Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. Uh, the real Christians come to church on holiday weekends, and so good to see all you guys. Um, now, if you're new here, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team, and uh, just grateful that you're here on this holiday week. I know a lot of people travel, and if you're here visiting just with family, just welcome, and I uh, hope that this becomes a place you can call home. Uh, you are walking into the final week of our Revelation series, and uh, I'm kind of sad about it. I originally, I thought I was going to be happy about it, but because um, I thought I'd get my brain back. And um, it's like, it's been fun to go through all of this. And uh, I was sharing with someone last week, it's like, the interesting part about all of it is like, man, I've only been able to share like 20%, maybe 15% of things, you know, that I would love to share. And, uh, and so we're going to do a 50-week series on this next year. And so, um, no, but it's, um, it's been really good. And it's, it's also been timely for a lot of things that are happening kind of in our world and um, in your life. Um, and, and so what's been really neat is originally when I did the, this idea, came up with this series, was really centered around, hey, we're heading into a political kind of season of things and this is kind of something I wanted to tackle. And then as we began to study and as we got into a lot of this, um, was there some of that? Sure. Uh, but really, it was way more practical for what's going on in your life and in my life. And, uh, and just hearing some of the stories of what God's been doing throughout this series has just been awesome. But you made it, and I made it, and we did it. So here's what I want us to do. I want you to turn around and give, you can stand up and do this. I want you to give four people a high five and just tell them you made it. You made it, right? <laughs> couldn't do that in COVID. And so, uh, all right, so I wanted to, I want to give you guys just a quick little run through again, if you're just hopping in uh, here this morning, just a quick little synopsis of some of the things that have been highlighted over uh, the past few months that we've been in this. And so I just want to go through a couple things Revelation says, and then we're going to read through all of Revelation 21 and then part of Revelation 22, and I just want you to hear it. And then there's just a couple things uh, I want to share with you this morning. But here are just some things uh, about, that we've covered, Revelation. The Revelation says that suffering has an expiration date, amen? So if you're going through something in your life or you have someone going through a family member or you've been praying for someone or whatever it is, just always remember that. Remember that there's an expiration date to this. You know, part of the reason when you, we read through scripture so many times, um, remember seven is the number of completion. And whenever John was talking about anything that having to do with like the kingdoms of this world or suffering, it always used three and a half all the time just to show, hey. There's an expiration date to all of this. Uh, to appreciate the tension between flexibility and assimilation, right? We've talked a lot about this, um, that uh, we want to be flexible, right, and contextual to our scenarios. But man, John's like, you have to be very, very careful um, about what it looks like uh, to make sure you're not assimilating into the ways of the culture around you. Uh, the third thing is the life of a Christian should be nourishing, refreshing, and healing to the people around them. Uh, overwhelmingly, um, that should be the expression uh, of Christianity in our world. Um, we should be known for this. If you are a follower of Jesus, like the people around you should be, should be thanking you that you're around because it's so nourishing and healing and refreshing. Um, uh, the next one is to come out of Babylon, right? Um, uh, do we live in Babylon? Yes. 
thank you. Um, we do. Um, and what John would say is, man, we need to come out of the ways of Babylon. Come out and like be very aware and learn how to discern uh, some of this stuff. Um, that revelation is about patterns, not predictions. All right, patterns, not predictions. Uh, and so uh, we aren't going to sit here and be like, you know what? 2024, this is it, because all of these things have lined up correctly, and all these signs, and this means that, and that. Like, Jesus said, don't do that. So when people do that, like, they're being disobedient to Jesus. Um, but we don't need to do that, because that's not our concern. Like, Revelation is about understanding the patterns of humanity, humanity and how God works within that. Um, learn how to discern truth from lies. This is a big one uh, throughout what John's trying to do. It's like, man, we've got to figure out what it looks like to have wisdom in, in this world around us. And the last one this is the, the greatest one. This is what we just sang about. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. And so um, if there's one prediction you can make, it's that one right, is that Jesus wins. And in the end, that's what's the most important thing. That's why when you say, Jesus, our living hope, or fear is not my future, or I thank God, it's because Jesus wins. If there was question about uh, if Jesus wins or not, then there's no way you would sing living hope. Like all the songs that we just sang, we would have been, been wondering if those things are true. But because Jesus wins, it's like all those words become true. And if Jesus wins, then it reshapes everything in our life. And so um, I also want you to remember that Revelation was written to real people in the first century, written to real people who needed hope, written to real people, people that were um, suffering great persecution. And so this letter wasn't trying to get them to be like, ooh, figure out like who the seven heads are and who this is. You know, it's like that's nothing, had nothing to do with it. For them, when they heard this, it was just they had hope for the persecuted church, hope for the person that was wondering, hope for the person that was going through suffering and pain. That revelation was about hope. And that's important because sometimes we think it's about the future, it's about predicting. It's like it's not about that. It's about hope, and it's very practical. Um, and so uh, we're going to get into, John does some patterns here today, which are really interesting. Uh, and what he does is he was kind of helping develop hope in the persecuted church. Uh, if you remember, like in the beginning of the series, we went through all the seven letters to the churches. And what he does at the end of Revelation is he does something really interesting. Again, this is the, um, there's a lot of patterns in the Bible, the way that people would write back then to kind of get Cluing, cluing people into different things. And so in Revelation, I'll give you an example. In Revelation 2, uh, verse 7, John says to the one church, he's like, hey, we need you to eat from the tree of life, right? Um, then you'll see in Revelation 22 today that he talks about the tree of life. And so he's connecting the dots. Or in Revelation 3, he talks about, you're going to receive this new name. In Revelation 22, he's like, you're going to receive this new name. And so he's linking in the end story of hope. And when you hear, like, it's beautiful. What we're going to read today is just simply beautiful. And, um, but what he's doing is, it's like, it's not just about, like, what's coming. It's like understanding how that relates to your life now and why it reshapes your life now, what it means to be so practical now. All right, I read this quote um, this week um, that, that says this. The one thing is clear from the beginning of Christian literature Hope for the future is an inseparable, integral dimension of Christian faith and the implied condition of possibility for responsible Christian action in the world. And so we are people of hope. How many guys um, have gotten a little negative recently for any reason? It's okay. You, know, it's, um, you are a person of hope. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a person of hope. 
If you feel like you're in the midst of the deepest valley in your life, just know that like you're still a person of hope. Like that hope is the end of your story. Hope is what defines your story. Hope is what really puts you into this place that says, oh, I can see, I can, I can say goodbye guilt, goodbye shame, goodbye these things, right? Goodbye death, goodbye grave. Like, I see this new horizon of hope and I understand that and it reshapes what's going on in my life now. And, uh, and we're, we've been using this in one line throughout the whole series and we'll say it one last time. Let's say it together. Stay grounded, the gospel works. The only reason that that's true is because we have hope in Christ. There's no other uh, system that gives the hope that Jesus gives. There's no other belief system. There's no, like, at the end of the day, like, there's been interesting as we've been, uh, as I read through articles and I see the commentary and I'm watching what's happening. And uh, even like recently, I was just reading about um, some of the leaders of the new atheist movement have now become Christians. And like even one of the guys, um, is like he's not a Christian yet, I guess, but he like sings hymns all the time because he says it stirs something in his soul. And, uh, and these are people that were like leading people away from God and like in everything. And uh, even one of, the, one of the biggest leaders of it, um, Hitchens like said like, ah, actually I don't think you can actually, no one, no one can really be atheist. They might at best be able to be agnostic. So even that, like, there's this shift that's happening because at the end of the day, people are longing for hope. And they're realizing the systems that are in front of them that are just Babylon. Um, like, it doesn't offer hope. But only Christ offers hope. And so we can say this, that we stay grounded that the, the gospel actually uh, works. And so um, here are a few uh, nice-to-know things before we get into the passage today. Um, one thing is about creation. And so if you're new to the Bible, the creation story is right in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. And uh, every, uh, every belief system had a creation story. So even when you read the Bible's creation story, um, there are a lot of it that overlaps with other creation stories, okay? And so um, part of what the Bible does is not only bring a truth of who God is, but also speaks to the lies of some other systems that were in play. And so in the beginning of Genesis, it starts talking about this creation story and this narrative that's there. And this idea that, man, God is a God who brings life and uh, is, is in control of life and uh, wants to create something new in us. And then through all throughout the Bible, you start seeing all of this talk about new creation. Um, we see it in the beginning when God creates man and woman. And they're, uh, where did God create man and woman? In the what? In the garden, right? He places them in the garden. He puts them in the garden. He breathes life into them. And, uh, and so it's about this communal element with God, and then sin breaks it. But throughout the scripture, you start seeing this language around creation and new creation. Um, Paul talks about that. And you'll see today, like this new heavens, this new earth, this new Jerusalem, this new creation that God is trying to do. It becomes a pivotal thing. Again, that the Bible is tying in the first, bi- first book of the Bible in Genesis all the way to the last in Revelation. It's the storyline that's like woven in that centers on Jesus. Uh, the second thing, the covenant with Abraham, um, just briefly with this, because we're going to encounter something there, that, that God's original intent with the covenant of Abraham uh, wasn't just about offspring. It was establishment of God's people, and that God's people would bring healing to the nations, all right? It's important to, to know that at the front end, that like God's people are supposed to bring healing to the nations, be reconcilers of the nations, um, every tribe and every tongue, um, not just Jewish people, but it was supposed to be, or not just the Israelites. It was supposed to be Gentiles as well, and that God's people were supposed to be healing to the nations. That becomes a critical part 
of the story and the time. And then tabernacle and, and temple narrative that's put in there. Um, we'll see in the Old Testament that they had this tabernacle. And, and in the beginning, uh, the tabernacle was built by these guys that they said they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they built the tabernacle and that they would house uh, the presence of God. And in the tabernacle was this, this um, little area and it's called the Holy of Holies. And it was shaped like a cube. And I want you to remember that because we're going to encounter something. But it was shaped like a cube. Um, eventually they build the temple. All right? The temple becomes the centering point of, of faith for people. Uh, the temple wasn't a new invention by the people of Israel. Okay? They inherited this idea. Um, a lot of belief systems at that time had temples. And they believed that it was this uh, way to bless blur the lines between heaven and earth. And so um, when in the Bible, when they talk about the temple, it's the place where it housed the presence of God, where he would hover over this cube called the Holy of Holies. What's interesting, what's interesting about the temple story, um, and again, this is about patterns, and we see this throughout the entire Bible, okay? And this is why it's important, um, that in the beginning, everything was started to be built in the tabernacle with people inspired by the Spirit of God, filled with the Spirit of God. They had the hands to build something. Um, does anyone know who built the temple, the first temple? Not David, but his son who? Solomon. Good. And uh, four of you. Good. It was great. And so, um, like, so Solomon um, um, builds the temple. What's interesting uh, about that is, again, originally it was, the tabernacle was built by people with the Spirit of God. Solomon ends up enslaving and oppressing people to build God's temple. And so there was something that was interesting that was happening there. And that is one of these things that we've gone over several times now. That there was this unholy trinity of things where it was God politics and power and economics getting merged all together. And this is part of a pattern that you see all throughout the Bible. And every time, like, God is like, no, please stop doing this. Yes, you can infuse God into politics and yes, into economics, but when you merge them, it's, it all gets corrupted. And eventually what happens is um, the message of God gets corrupted and then God's people get um, enslaved in some capacity. And so this, this has repeated over and over and over and over and over again throughout human history. Like time after time after time after time after time. All right, and so this is the way uh, it works. And so um, we'll see um, God's answer to all of this um, as well. All right, so we're going to read the Revelation 21. You ready? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and not stop. Just kidding. Who are we kidding? I'm going to stop. Um, so I just want you to like hear this. Because we just sang uh, about this living hope. And sometimes, you know, we get overwhelmed with life, and I get it. But man, we, we've got to, like, understand, like, what our future holds. Because it begins to reshape of how we see, like, what's happening in our life now. And I just want you to hear um, what's, what God is, is going to do. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any what? Okay, I'm going to pause here for a second. Like, there's like a, um, I promise I won't do this a lot. Uh, hopefully, if you guys have been here for any length of time in this series, that, that little phrase um, should mean something to you now. You might have just passed over it before and been like, well, that's weird, there's no sea. Now you should know that the sea means chaos, Right? And so, so now it's like, oh, I see what John is saying. And in this new heavens and this new earth, there's no chaos anymore. 
There's no evil. There's no things to disrupt any of this, that God's doing something so beautiful. He said, I saw a holy city, right? Not a great city. A great city is about man. A holy city. The new Jerusalem coming what? Remember that. Coming down. Out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. Uh, Dwell is the same word for tabernacle. So John's tying in this idea, God tabernacling with us, right? He's tying in this, again, going all the way back to Old Testament. So to to the listeners, they're like, oh, I see what you're saying. His presence, his presence, his presence, his presence. They will be his people and God himself will be them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death mourning or crying or pain for the uh, old order of things has passed away. So I just want you to like take this in. Man, no more crying. No more tears for people going through suffering and pain or diseases. No more death. It's like it's gone because of who Jesus is. He who is seated on the throne says, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. Again, it's this language, this familial language. Like we, um, Thanksgiving you know, uh, is a, can be a very glorious thing for people spending time with their family. For some others, it's like a heartbreaking time because, you know, maybe family has passed or separation from family. Um, but part of this language is like, man, we are all part of a family of God in perfection with the creator of this world. He says, but the cowardly, the unbelievable, the vile, Unbelieving, uh, the vile, the murderers, the sexual immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second uh, death. It says, one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the what? To a mountain great and high. And he showed me, here it is again, the holy city, Jerusalem, coming what? out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of very precious jewel, like a jasper, uh, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the, at the gates. Um, on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Obviously, they're doing a lot of things with 12 here um, that has significance with the disciples, with the tribes. It says, there were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall had said he had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, as wide, as, it, uh, as wide and high as it is uh, long. Um, let me just say this, the, uh, th- those measurements um, for that time were considered how big the Roman Empire was. That was the general idea. So even John in this moment is like trying to get them to understand, see this beautiful thing that's coming. Like it's, it's so much better than what we have. 
And so he's just trying to get them to understand things a little bit differently. He says, the angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper, the city of pure gold, um, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the uh, fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Uh, The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great city uh, was, the great street of the city was of gold, pure as transparent glass. And so let me just pause here for a second. What John is doing, he's trying to get, because have you guys ever seen a city like this? Right. Like, have you even seen, like, jewels in what he's describing, right? Have you ever, anyone seen gold as, like, transparent as glass, right? What John is doing, and, and this is why it's, what John is describing is, like, y'all, don't lose your imagination in the awe and the wonder of what God is going to do. Don't, like, try and put him in a box. He's trying to, he's trying to get us to understand that, that who God is and what he wants to do, it's, like, unexplainable. Like, this new heavens, this new earth, this holy city, it's unexplainable. Is it going to look exactly like that? I don't know. What John is doing is, de- is describing these, these jewels that have been used in the creation story, um, in reference to the creation story, but also on the breastplate of the high priest. And so he's tying into some Old Testament stuff, too. Uh, but he's describing things that we can't even fathom. We can't even fathom. And the reason that he's doing that He's trying to get the listener to be like, oh man, have I lost my wonder in what God's going to do? Have I simplified God in a way that's almost like disrespectful? Have I somehow like minimized the possibility of what God can do? So he's trying to stoke our imagination. He continues on after this, and he says, I did not see a temple in the city. Again, so the whole thing, everything was about the temple, about the temple, about the temple, and then John's like, I didn't even see a temple. It's not there anymore because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will, will bring their splendor into it. He's, again, he's just describing, like, um, how many of you guys get a little seasonal depression? You, you, I, that's me, probably, too. Like, we're, and, uh, but man, when the sun, like, the sun means so much. But, like, to fathom we don't need the sun is crazy. Right? And John's like, you don't. Because, man, the intimacy, the light, and the presence of God takes care of all of it. On no day its gates will ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he's talking about where we're aligning our lives to, that God knows our hearts. But he's also been like, man, nothing deceitful, like perfection. And um, everything is so, so pure. Can you see it? Can you feel it? Can it allow you to shape your life? He continues on in Revelation 22. He says, The angel showed me the river, the water of life, as clear as crystal, 
flowing from the throne uh, of God and of the city. Again, he's referencing some things from the Garden of Eden as well in that. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, which we talked about in week two, um, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Continues on, it says, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. Uh, they will not need the light of the lamp or light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. And when we pause for a second and hear this, it's like, what do we do with this? Sometimes people use this as like uh, about what we're going to escape to. But it's, it's not what John's trying to do. He's trying to create this picture of what will be. Create this picture of what gives us hope. Create this understanding of God's love for us and what he's preparing uh, for us. Um, and so we see that um, he says that this new Jerusalem, we're not going up because why? This new Jerusalem is doing what? It's a different thought for some of us, isn't it? Because we, we, we think we're always going somewhere, but John's like, no, no, no. What God says is like, I'm bringing everything down and I'm going to restore everything here. It's like this massive restoration project. How many of you guys like HGTV and like watching like a good home renovation, right? You're like, I can't believe I did that, right? The big reveal is like, oh my gosh, right? This is like the best big reveal ever, it's like God's coming down to, he's bringing, he's bringing it down to, to restore. He's going to make this new heavens, this new earth, this new Jerusalem, this, this new place. Gone is the separation between heaven and earth. Everything is coming uh, together. I wrote this down this week as kind of a main idea. Our hope isn't about where we will be going. It is about who is coming and what we're going to do about it. See, when we think about our life, it's, it's not about what we escape to. It's about what is God putting before us that completely changes how we interact with life and how we live it out. It's like, do we have the wonder and the imagination and the hope of who God really is and what Jesus is, has actually done? Um, this new Jerusalem coming down, I, this, a couple weeks ago I was reading um, this guy Tertullian who was uh, one of the early church fathers, and uh, he said this, he said, um, he was describing what was happening in the early church and all the persecution that they had. And they talked, he kept talking about how much hope they always had. And, and he used this phrase. He said, blood of martyrs was seed for the new church. And, and what he was saying was that people were facing this great persecution and they would keep talking about this hope that they had in Christ. Keep talking about this idea of what's to come, this new Jerusalem, this new hope, this new heavens, this new earth, the resurrected body. And he's like, because of this hope, he's like, man, no matter what they faced, he's like, no matter how many people died, it sprang up something new in the church. It's like you put one in the ground and 10 more come out. And it's like, man, the blood of these martyrs who, who like lived their life with such great hope like it changed everything, became a witness to who Christ was. You know, it's also interesting throughout Revelation, it, it's often describing that it is the witness of those um, clothed in white, right? Um, the witness of those who lived out their faith with such hope in the midst of persecution, in the midst of facing um, something that was really incredibly difficult, um, and standing with courage for Jesus. It was those that led people to repentance, 
It, it was the people that would look at them and be like, man, they stayed so faithful, so true. They stayed so solid throughout all of it because, man, they were holding on to a hope that could only get offered in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it was through that that, man, people started getting drawn into this message of Jesus, that there's something significant that must be there. People aren't looking at, you know, um, people who put all their focus on money or fame or popularity or looks or whatever. Like, when they pass away, people aren't going to be like, yes, let's all get plastic surgery because that's our hope. Like, no one, like, that doesn't drive anyone to anything. But man, when you see someone who goes through a lot, who's been through a lot, who faces suffering and pain, who faces someone um, putting their life on the line for the reality and the truth of Jesus and standing up with courage, and they're doing it because they have so much hope in the reality of who Christ is, that speaks a whole different message. And it makes you wonder, if you ever go to a funeral and, and People are sharing about someone's life and how they lived. And, and you hear it. It's like it's an inspiring thing. And it drives you to wonder about, man, how am I living my own life? And that's what the hope of Christ and what this message actually does. And so I just want to highlight a couple of things of what might stop us from getting there. Um, first thing is we get stuck in the past. We get stuck in the past. Um, how many guys have um, ever gotten stuck in the past before? It's a hard time, like, let things go. Um, this, this still happens to me sometimes, like, you know, uh, someone, you, you ask those, like, questions. If you could go back to any year in your life, where would you go back to and what would you change, right? And, you know, and for some of you goody two-shoes, you have, like, an exact answer. Um, for, like, a lot of people in the room, it's like you're like, oh, man, pick a year, right? And I would love to go back to that and change everything. And so, but you get in this moment where you can get stuck in the past. Um, I remember talking with a counselor, um, this was probably two years ago, and, and they, had, they had mentioned this. Uh, we were just kind of talking about what's happening in churches and stuff, and, and they mentioned, you know, the, like, you know, a good therapist lets you recognize what has happened in your past and deal with it and frame it, um, but won't allow you to get stuck there. It wants you to create something to move forward so you're not defined by it. They're like, there are a lot of bad therapists that keep you there because they like your money. And, uh, and then you get stuck. And so he's just describing all these things. And, and he, he made the comment, he's like, man, we've got to realize that if we have the hope in Christ, we can understand what has happened, but we look forward to who we will be. And that's what begins to define us and change us and gives us hope. And so we don't get stuck. And there are a lot of things that can make us stuck in the past for whatever different reason that there can be. Um, I'm going to ask you guys just for like a visual reminder of this. Um, you guys, I'll stand up for a second. Maybe do something if you're able to stand. Um, Lacey and I were, uh, and a couple others were down in Atlanta uh, recently. And uh, we were at Trilla Studios with Dan Cathy, who is um, a former CEO of Chick-fil-A, now runs the largest movie studios in America. Um, and uh, it's amazing what money could do. So anyway, um, and he's standing, he's giving this leadership talk, and he, talk, he was talking about like moving forward in your life. And, uh, and so he did something that like kind of stuck with us as like just a good, like it just makes you remember. So it's like you can feel if you get stuck in the past. If I were to tell you guys um, to just start leaning back, so just do that a little bit so you can feel like get on your heels a little bit, right? If you just keep leaning back, eventually you'll do what? fall. And this is what the past does to you. 
it pulls you back and pulls you back until eventually you fall. And you fall backwards further back than when you started. If you lean forward, okay, and just keep leaning forward onto your toes. When you lean forward, you'll start feeling a little tension where? In your calves, right? What is that? Something keeps trying to pull you back from going forward. If you were to fall going forward, what happens? You fall on your face, sure, but you are ahead of where you started. You guys can sit down. So what the past will always trying to do is going to try and pull you back. But when we have the hope of Christ and we understand what we're moving towards, we see a better future. We understand that, like, man, my perspective can be shaped off of my, my perspective of my current reality, my, my current circumstances is not shaped by my past, is not shaped by actually in my present. It's understanding what the future is. That's what begins to shape it. That's what begins to control it. The enemy wants you to believe that your future will always be the same. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Some of us in this room have gotten stuck thinking that. And my future will always be the same. My relationships will always be the same. Or I'll always be. And you kind of get stuck in that mode. That is a lie from the deceiver. That is a lie from the dragon. That is a lie from Satan or however you want to talk about it. That is a lie from the, the pit of hell. Um, the second thing about the idea of like lack of depth. So we, have, we get stuck in the past and we get uh, a lack of depth. Um, depth in our faith is actually driven by community. It's driven by discipline. It's driven by curiosity. Um, it's, 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 it's taking in uh, different thought patterns and everything and being willing to change. And, and a lot of times what happens is we kind of just get, um, we get complacent. And, and, uh, and I'll give you an example. Like in Germany with Hitler, um, sometimes I just like to read different things about what, what transpired there because it's fascinating because Germany was the most Christian uh, country in the nation at that point in time. And so it's fascinating that the most Christian country in the nation got to where it got, you know, it got to that point. And, and you can see a lot of similarities of what happens like from nation to nation with Christians and everything. And it's like, man, how did they get duped? Like what transpired in the midst of this? And, and again, it goes back to the whole, you know, God and, uh, the God and religion and politics and power and economics, all those things getting intertwined, of course. Um, but part of that was like a lack of depth too. And when um, we're not really like trying to question everything like we should and stay curious about things like we should and, and begin to understand the ways of Babylon. You know, um, like everybody in this room has sang something at a certain point that was kind of like anti-scripture, right? Um, through a patriotic song of some kind, right? And again, I'm not anti-patriotic songs or anything. It's just like awareness of how this stuff just happens. We don't even realize it. Um, like the battle hymn of the Republic. I'll just give you an example. Um, it's like, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword like his truth is marching on, right? Th that's not what the Bible says is going to happen. But, but we've sang it. And it's like little things can chip away. Little things can chip away at us and we don't even realize it. And we need to keep curious. We need to have like depth. We need to have an understanding of what's, what's going on uh, around us. And, and you can see what starts to happen within the context even of the global church. Um, when when uh, things start taking the center of the church instead of Jesus. 
Um, you see it, of course, with politics. You know, we've seen that transpire where, where people are leaving churches because, you know, oh my gosh, they're, they're, they're just, they're, there's too many Democrats in there, you know, or there's too many conservative Republicans in there, you know, and people are like, I'm leaving the church, you know, or uh, uh, you, you see like people are just like, um, like really cascade anyone who like disagrees with them or has a different perspective from them and they center everything on politics and they, they miss out on Jesus. Um, you see things around sexuality where that's become like a centering piece um, to certain uh, conversations, right? Um, and when you do that, it's like, man, Jesus gets moved out of the center. Uh, um, we can center ourselves in it. And we move Jesus out of, uh, of the center of the equation, right? And so you can, you, can, uh, you can center things that are seemingly good, like a social justice thing. If social justice is something to talk about, but if it gets centered instead of Jesus, like, then something is missing. And, and one of the things that, uh, as I was thinking about this and, and how the church has been working throughout all of this, um, that's not what I wanted. I don't even know where it is. I don't even have it written down. I thought I did. Um, if Jesus isn't the center, we don't have Christianity and we don't have the church. We have idolatry. And I want you to just think about that because um, can we talk about sexuality? Yes, but Jesus has to be the center of it. Can we talk about politics? Yes, but Jesus has to be the center of it. Can we talk about um, ourselves? Yes, but Jesus has to be the center of it. And so um, if Jesus isn't the center, we don't have Christianity and we don't have the church. We have what is known as idolatry. And, and so it's important to begin to like understand like, oh, is this happening in my life? And am, am I part of this? And understand what this begins to look like. So what do we do about it? You guys see it up there. Just three quick things. And then we'll close. Commit to a deep desire for the presence of God. Um, you notice when John uh, was talking, Laura, you can come up. When John was talking, um, he, he said, uh, the spirit carried me away. And he talks about that a lot throughout uh, Revelation. And it's this idea, man, his life in the spirit was directing everything about him. He was just had this deep desire for uh, the presence uh, of God. Uh, second thing there is, uh, let me also say this about the presence of God. A life in the spirit doesn't mean everything is perfect like that. Eugene Peterson uh, has a wonderful book called uh, Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Um, most of the things, some of the things, y'all, yes. Some of the things we start getting in this life in the spirit and it's like, ooh, look at that, man. Look at the change that happened to me and something gets switched right away. I, that for sure happens. Any mature Christian will tell you that there are a lot of things that are just, it's a slow process. And you think you get down the road and you're like, oh man, I did it again. <laughs> and, and so it's a slow process, but that's part of it. Um, commit to one another. Commit to one another. Challenge to one another. Um, be willing to like disciple one another. Um, call one another out. Show up for one another. Help one another discern what is going on in their life. Commit to a kingdom lifestyle. To not live with hope through faith, love, and action um, is like a rejection of the Christian faith, right? So, so commit to a kingdom lifestyle, one of hope of optimism, of understanding what is in our future. There's a lot in this life we can't control, but what we can control is like what we align our lives with. And that is the choice we all have. What do we want to align our lives with? We all make choices every single day. But if you know what's in our future, it should reshape how we see our present. 
and make us understand, man, there's just something greater here that's at play. And I want that to reshape my whole life. Can you guys bow your heads for a second? I just want you to um, process here. I want you to just have an honest moment with God of just where you're at with him, um, what you think of him, how you're living your life. Now I want you to think about maybe anything that's like interrupting like a strong relationship with God. Like what is it or who is it? you knew um, all of those answers anyway. And you love us anyway. And God, this morning and all throughout the week, I'm just praying that um, that we would be people of hope. We know the end of the story that you win and um, we would begin to come to grips with some of the things that are interrupting us fully embracing it. The reality of who you are, the reality of the hope we have in you. Um, that we would be open-handed with our lives that we would be sensitive to um, the fact that, man, maybe I'm not, maybe when people look at my life, it's actually not one of hope. I say I'm a Christian, but man, they don't see any hope in me. There's a reason for that. God, I pray that we would come to grips with what that reason is and allow you to speak truth into that. Maybe we've been believing lies about ourselves. Maybe... We've gotten too impacted by the ways of Babylon. Maybe we've just been too self-centered. Maybe we've placed something else in the center of our lives that isn't you. And But because of the hope we have in you, God, I pray that our imaginations would begin to run wild of the possibilities of what you can do in our life. That our imaginations would begin to run wild with the possibilities of what you could do through this community as we come together and commit to one another that our imaginations would run wild of what could be for us personally when we decide to align our lives with you. That we have hope that nothing else can give.
And we give all this in your name we pray, everyone said. Amen. Amen. Um, all right, before you guys get out of here, a couple quick things. Um, one, we're going to announce the share offering numbers here in just a second. Um, but uh, so if you're new, we'd love to meet you on the way out. Um, if you'd like to learn more about serving here, um, stop by to join, join the team. And uh, they would love to talk to you about what it looks like to get connected here uh, in different ways. Um, share offering. Uh, thank you for your hearts of generosity. Um, we understand, uh, you know, the timing of this is, uh, can sometimes be difficult in a holiday season and a Christmas season um, and everything. We're actually going to change it to the spring next year. So anyway, um, but uh, thank you for uh, your heart of generosity. There, there's a lot of asks going on, you know, purchasing the building and um, just general just giving to make this church thing happen. Um, and then to have the hearts to, to keep serving the community and the ways that we've been able to. Um, uh, so just thank you for participating. Thank you for wanting to make a difference. Thank you for wanting to show people what Christ is really like and what it looks like when a grouping of people come together and the difference that they can make throughout a community. And uh, what I'm about to show you um, is actually going to help thousands and thousands of people um, in our city and beyond. And it's because you have a heart to serve people and to proclaim what Jesus is, is actually like. And so over the years, you know, we've been able to give um, uh, over $1.75 million um, the first eight years um, just through this offering alone. Uh, we give away more money than that just in general, um, but just through this offering alone that we've been able to do that over the years, and so, um, which is awesome. And so uh, last year we gave away to, uh, right around 230 Is that right, Joe? Two thirty, and so um, um, and so uh, here are this year's uh, numbers for our share offering. Probably should have done drum roll, um, but we'll do that in the next service. Here we go. We got that. Here we go. That is a really, really big deal. Um, a really, really big deal. Um, that puts us over giving away $2 million, you know, through this offering alone, um, which is awesome. And, um, and again, the kingdom impact that is going to have is just phenomenal. Um, thank you guys for your generous hearts and being a part of it. Um, have a great rest of your Sunday. If you like prayer, they're always up here, ready to pray with you. Um, love you all. See you next Sunday.